Welcome back to the podcast series, Behind the Screens, hosted by me, Jock Glover, Strategic Relationships Director here at Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research. In this series of podcasts, we meet members of the investment teams from across the asset management industry whose funds are rated by Square Mile and spend 20 minutes getting some insight into what they are doing and what they are thinking. Today's guest is Nick Trindade, Senior Portfolio Manager at AXA Investment Managers, and he's the manager of the AXA Global Short Duration Bond Fund and the AXA Sterling Credit Short Duration Fund. We're focusing today on the AXA Global Short Duration Bond Fund. It was launched in 2017, and the £170 million fund aims to provide investors with an income combined with any capital growth. The portfolio currently yields nearly 5%, and the fund was awarded an A rating by our team of fund analysts. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Now, just very quickly, uh, to start that, I said in the introduction that uh, your investment's objective is to provide income to investors combined with any capital growth. What does that mean in reality when it comes to an investor? What can they expect to receive from you? Uh, so when it comes to the, the what investors can expect from the fund, is really what we try to focus on is firstly try to minimize the downside as much as we can. And I think we were able to do that back in 2022 but not at the detriment of the upside. So what we try to do is minimize the downside, but capture as much as we can of the upside. And therefore, what we focus on is risk-adjusted returns. And that's what we want to maximize within the strategy. So you talked there about 2022 and the fact that you managed to minimize the downside. Actually, you're being a bit modest, I think, because relative to fixed income managers and those who run short-generation portfolios, I think you had a pretty good 2022 uh, where you had a pretty small drawdown relative to lots of other fixed income managers um, as interest rates rose quite rapidly. Um, and you seem to have navigated that extremely well. We're now at a point where it looks like in most Western uh, areas, whether it's the UK, the Europe or, or the US, interest rates appear to have peaked. Uh, the market's trying to work out whether they've peaked and they're being cut shortly or whether they're going to be cut much later in the year. How do you see the market evolving over the next 12 months and, and what are you doing to position yourself for that? Well, I mean, the, the first thing to mention is I think that the sell-off that we've seen in the sovereign bond markets is the beginning of the year has been really healthy uh, because we thought that the, the falling years that we saw at the back end of 2023 were just overdone. And therefore, we went into 2024 with only one and a quarter year of duration, which is quite low because our minimum duration is one year on the product. Uh, because again, we thought that that falling years was overdone. Because if you look at, at the back end of 2023, the market expectation was for the Fed to start cutting rates for March of this year, yeah. which we thought was was not about to happen. And the market was pricing between six and seven cuts, which we thought was way too much. And you have something similar for the Eurozone and for, and for the UK. So that's why we went into 2024 with not a lot of duration. That really helped us since the beginning of the year because the fund is still positive. Uh, year to date. And your duration spread normally is between one and five in the mandate? One, one in three. So the duration between will be between one and three years, but the maturity of the bonds that we buy can go up to five years. So that's the difference between the two. And so we actively manage the duration of the portfolio. Uh, we use uh, futures to actively manage the duration of the portfolios in euros, in dollars, and in sterling. And this active management of the duration really helped us uh, massively mitigate the downside experience in 2022. Uh, and that is one of the reasons why the fund was done less than 3% in 2022 when most of the competition was done 
middle to, to high single digit. And in terms of, you talked about the market expecting six to seven rate cuts starting in March. And I think we've now been given enough guidance by, uh, by the Fed that that ain't, isn't going to be the case going forward this year. What are, you, what are you expecting markets to start cutting rates and how are you you're going to keep that short duration, very, very short duration of near one uh, on, or are you going to start changing as you see that coming down the line? Yeah, so actually we increased the duration since the beginning of the year because now we think the market is a much better place when it comes to, to interest rates expectations. Um, and the duration of the portfolio is currently around two years, which is the neutral point for us. Uh, when it comes to interest rate expectations, so we expect the Fed to cut rates four times over the course of this year and, and to start just before the summer. Uh, and we expect the European Central Bank and the Bank of England to cut rates three times o- over the course of this year. And that is why we increase the duration of the portfolio to two years, because now market expectations is in line with our own expectations, or much, much more in line with our own expectations uh, in, in terms of, of, uh, of interest rate cuts uh, for the course of this year. Cool. Thank you for that. Now, I'm going to ask you a question um, which uh, is very different from your portfolio positioning, but I just wanted to, to get the understanding of why. You're not badged as a responsible or a sustainable fund, but you do have exclusions that you apply in the portfolio in terms of what you will or won't buy in terms of issuance. Um, and I was just wondering what those exclusions were. Why have you got them in place? Yeah, so within within XIM, so we have two levels of exclusions. Uh, the first level of exclusion relates to the XIM sectorial policies, which apply to all the funds at XIM, being internal or external. And within that, you wouldn't be allowed to buy names that are linked to controversial weapons or, are, for example, deriving a lot of a turnover from coal production or coal generation. So that really applies to, to all the funds at XIM. Then we have a second layer of exclusions that we also apply for this particular fund uh, where that we call the XIM ESG standard. So for example, we don't buy tobacco names, we don't buy names with low ESG scores, um, we don't buy names with controversies. Um, we think doing that is makes a lot of sense for us and I think should should be standard across the whole industry um, because again, what you want to do for that is limit basically your ESG risk within the portfolios. So obviously ESG consideration are always taken into account when we do credit research. But we think that it makes sense to have another layer of exclusions just to really make sure that you can take out the names that are most at risk from an ESG perspective. So in terms of issuance, um, what's the issuance like in the market at the moment? Are are lots of companies issuing debt or is it dried up a bit in the higher interest rate environment? No, actually, the level of issuance that we've seen since the beginning of the year has been very, very strong uh, in the euros, in sterling and in dollars. We've seen record level of issuance mostly in euros and dollars and the reason why is because you have you have to put yourself in the corporate treasurer's shoes right uh we had a massive rally uh, at the back end of 2023 big falling yields in november and december big technical credit spreads and therefore all in yields versus where it was just three months ago looked quite attractive basically for corporates to issue debt and therefore we've seen a lot of corporates issuing debt since, since basically the beginning of the year to try to benefit from those lower level of years available um so no Insurance has been very strong, which is great for us because we've been having a lot of inflows uh, into the two funds that I manage. And therefore, for us, it's a very efficient way of putting the, mo- the, the money to work because we just buy new issues and therefore benefit from the new issue premium. Not having to worry about spreads and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, because what would happen is that when an issuer comes to the primary market, they have to offer a new issue premium, basically to justify investors looking at it in the primary market. And therefore, by putting a lot of money into the primary market, you can benefit from that new issue premium. Then usually also on top of that, you can also get the size um, if needs be 
Um, so it's quite, it's quite efficient for us to get the money to work for the primary market. Great, thanks. Um, now, you've got a deputy manager on the global um, portfolio, haven't you, Nick Hayes? Um, how do you two split your time uh, in a normal working day? Who's doing research? Who's doing internal meetings? Who's meeting managers? How does it all fit together? Yeah, so we don't we don't really work that way in the sense that you know we don't really split responsibilities because Nick Hayes will himself basically manage his own fund. Um, so I will be the lead portfolio manager on the global short duration bond fund, but Nick Hayes himself will be lead manager of the global strategic bond fund. Okay. Um, so that's why we we don't really split that way. But if I talk to my own personal experience. Uh, I think what uh, most of my time will be spent basically looking at credit research because obviously very important to make sure that we limit uh, idiosyncratic risk as much as possible within the portfolio. So I will spend a lot of my time talking with our credit analysts to make sure that I understand the risk uh, of the names that, that are on in the portfolio. I will also spend quite a lot of time with our economist team just to try to understand the, the macroeconomic outlook for the next three, six, nine months because that obviously will impact how we asset allocate uh, within within the portfolio. Um, as much as possible, I try to limit the number of internal meetings um, because obviously, you know, quite, quite quickly, you can end up stuck in a lot of internal meetings. So as much as possible, I try to limit that to, to, to the minimum. And a lot of times I prefer to read actually, uh, because then you're really in control of your time and you can get straight to the point that are important to you. And that reading, what you'll read, is that that's not just your uh, credit research you're reading, is that you sort of macro background and all the rest of it, or is there anything more interesting and exciting than that? Yeah, it would be a bit of everything. So it would be about macroeconomic research, about where we are, you know, in, in the cycle, what our growth expectation uh, across the globe, what our interest rate expectation across the globe, where we are in terms of inflation. So that would be from a top-down perspective. Then bottom-up perspective, that would be credit research analysis, analysis, obviously, to understand, you know, particularly right now, we're quite busy with earnings. So therefore, it's just a good opportunity for us and for myself to refresh myself on the companies, see if they are posting good earnings or bad ones. Uh, and then also, I also need to, to make sure that I keep, uh, I'm, I'm keeping a pace with, you know, topical developments. For example, CRE, commercial real estate debt. It, it's a really big focus right now. So therefore, I need to make sure that I'm on top of that, that I understand uh, the exposure of the banks that I own to the CRE market. Um, so those kind of things. But that's the thing I really love about being a portfolio manager is that the market is always throwing you new stuff on a regular basis. So you, you can't really get bored uh, because there's always something blowing up somewhere. You're always learning. Exactly. You're always learning. That's the beauty of the job. Um, so what is it that keeps you, because you're a pretty defensive portfolio in terms of what you're doing with that very low duration, etc. What is it that keeps you awake at night as a fund manager? What do you what do you worry about? So actually on the global short duration portfolio, even if that's true, we are quite low in terms of duration up between one and three years duration, we can still carry quite a lot of credit risk in the global short duration portfolio because we can own up to 60% in high in NEM. So potentially, I can carry quite a lot of credit risk in this fund, uh, and that was the case, for example, back in in, in uh, uh, back in, in the second half of 2020. You know, obviously, we had COVID in February, March 2020. Credit spreads widened up, and therefore, that was a great opportunity for us to add a lot of higher than EM. And I think at the highest, we had about 45 percent of the portfolio in higher than EM. So it's a very flexible strategy. Uh, but I think what keeps me the most at night right now is more the increase in idiosyncratic risk. Uh, because I think this year we're gonna, if there's gonna be a big difference between the have and the have nots, because a lot of companies gonna have to come to the market to refinance, particularly high yield companies. And for some of those high yield companies, they're gonna find it very difficult to issue that this year. Uh, and I'm thinking particularly in the real estate sector. And they, and they probably last time they came to the market to issue debt were doing it 
two, three years ago when their interest levels were significantly lower than they are now? Exactly, because a lot of us corporates would have issued debt back in 20 or 2021, so just after COVID. And if you remember in 2021, I mean, yields were all-time lows. I mean, interest rates were negative in the Eurozone and at zero in the UK and in the US. So, you know, I mean, funding costs were really, really low. And a lot of us high-yield companies are coming to the market now having to refinance the debt that they issued at the time with a low low digit single uh, low digit coupon and now they're probably going to have to to issue it with a high single digit coupon if not low double digit coupon um and as i said in some particular sectors like real estate for example that has been really in the eye of the storm uh, some of those real estate companies may find it quite difficult to issue this year and so they they may have to become creative in terms of issuance so instead of issuing unsecured they may have to issue secured debt for example it might just change the issuance market a bit particularly in those areas like commercial real estate, which you've already mentioned a couple of times, where they're, they're obviously under pressure. They're under pressure with um, tenants. They're under pressure with the rates. There's a whole load of things going on in that market, which is causing the issues. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's why, I mean, you know, obviously banks have an incentive also to make sure that the, the market doesn't collapse. So I think it's going to come to a point where, you know, banks will be in conversation with CREs, uh, managers and trying to find a solution, basically, which most likely would be an extension of, of the maturities to, uh, to try to avoid an outright default. And so if you look at your portfolio, and I, uh, I confess I haven't looked at closely at your, your current positioning, but what are the themes, what is the position you've got in the portfolio, apart from the duration that you've brought back to a sort of more neutral level of two? What else have you got going on in the portfolio? So from an asset class allocation, I mean, we quite um, we run a portfolio that's quite de-risk right now because uh, within the strategy, we can buy sovereign debt, investment grade, high in EM, so lots of flexibility. And right now, we decrease the allocation to high in EM to about only 20% of the portfolio, uh, which is quite below the maximum. We can have a 60%. And the reason why is because valuations look quite expensive in the higher market. Uh, and, and therefore, we don't necessarily need the field to overextend ourselves in, in high in EM because we feel that there's going to be a better entry point at, at some point this year. Um, so therefore, we quite de-risk lower allocation to high yield uh, in emerging markets. We have a higher allocation to investment grade. In particular, we have a bias to the stunning investment grade market. We added a lot to the stunning investment grade market after the mini budget back in, in September 2022. We kept on increasing that exposure over the first half of 2023 as credit spreads were quite attractive. And since the summer of last year, we started to reduce again our exposure to stunning investment grade because it's performed really, really well in 2023. Um, the stunning investment grade market was the best performer globally in 2023. So it shows you the strength of, the, of that part of the market. So that's from an asset class perspective. We are basically on the wet high in EM neutral on investment grade credit and overweight on sovereigns, short-dated sovereigns. And then from a sector perspective, we are overweight financials. We like financials, so we overweight banks, insurance companies. But in terms of subordination, we are up in quality. So we all, we mostly focus on senior banks or senior insurance companies. We don't really buy subordinated debt uh, simply because of valuation issues. Again, it looks quite expensive, so rather rather be in the you know senior part of the capital structure for financials. And the banks are, are obviously benefiting from being in a high, higher interest rate environment for the first time in decades almost. Yeah. Um, if the interest rate market start or the interest rates start coming down quite rapidly in the second half of the year, will that make you reconsider your financials exposure? Not necessarily, because again, as we discussed, I mean, our interest expectation is for four cuts by the Fed, free from the ECB and free from the BOE. And that is what is currently priced in by the market. So obviously, from that perspective, I think that that we are fine. I mean, 
it is true that net interest margin uh, uh, aspects on most of the banks. And therefore, from here, what we may see is a downward trend in terms of net interest margin. But it's still going to remain at healthy levels and definitely higher than what we had back in 20 or 2021. So from an earnings perspective, banks, I think, are in a good position. Uh, from a capital perspective, also in a very good position. I mean, they've been building up capital over the last couple of years. Obviously, regulators have pushed them to build up capital. And even if we're seeing a bit of a decrease in terms of capital and co-equity tier one ratio, uh, they still remain at very attractive levels. So from a fundamental perspective, we are we are very happy with owning banks. Um, obviously, the main risk is around an increase in NPLs, in non-performing loans. But we think that earnings should be more than, of, more than enough to offset any increase in non-performing loans. Thank you. Now, I'm conscious of time, uh, and I'm going to ask you my favourite question, um, which I love asking every single person I interview, and that is, do you have an interesting statistic that you've come across in the last week or so that you'd like to share with the listeners? I mean, maybe not interesting stat- I mean, maybe not one that I've come across the last week, but maybe something more general, which I think is quite often overlooked, because uh, we talk a lot about the yield curve, but we don't necessarily talk a lot about the credit curve. And what is really interesting is that the sterling market is the only place where the credit curve is inverted. So why I mean by that is short, the spread on short-dated corporate bonds is higher than the spread on longer-dated corporate bonds. And that makes the front end of the sterling credit market very attractive because not only the yield curve, the sterling yield curve is inverted, but on top of that, the sterling credit curve is also inverted. And that makes basically the front end of the short-dated market very attractive. And that's pretty unusual. Yes, yes. It doesn't make sense because when you think about it, normally, you know, the longer you land, the more spread you should get, right? Because the more risk you're taking. Uh, but in sterling market, it's not the case. It's been inverted. And there's a couple of reasons for that because I guess that's probably your next question. Why is that the case? Um, so the, the first reason why is because of the structure of the shorted market, 60% of the sterling shorted market is in financials. And financials and the spread on financials tends to be higher than the spreads on non-financials. So that explains partly why um, the spread of the short-dated universe is wider than the spread of the long-dated universe. The second reason why, because if you think about it, better quality companies can afford to issue much longer-dated debt. And therefore, when you look at the longer-dated index, you have a much bigger proportion of better-rated companies, which tend to come with lower spreads. And so therefore, that's the combination of the two that makes the front end of the market look quite attractive. And I was going to say it was my last question, but now you've just said that. That means what you were saying about lots of corporates coming to the market to issue next this year and next year that are having to refinance. If they're not in good nick, they 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 won't be able to issue longer data stuff. It'll have to be more and more short duration. Exactly. So they'll have to be at the front end and keep on rolling. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's quite interesting because if you look at the supply year to date in sterling, it's been mostly issue in the billy and the long end of the curve. Massive, there's been a massive bias towards five-year-plus five of issuance and not a lot of issuance at the front end, which obviously for me has been frustrating year to date because when I manage the short-dated assets, so therefore I would like a lot of issuance at the front end. And therefore, I went to the euro market to get that front-end issuance because we've seen a lot of short-dated issuance in euros, but in sterling, it's been mostly biased towards five-years-plus maturity, uh, which again makes sense. Credit curve is inverted, yield curve is inverted as a treasurer it will cost you less to issue 10-year paper than issue five-year paper. Makes sense. If you can do it. If you can do it. If your quality is good enough to be able to do it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, on that note, I'm going to finish up. So um, thank you very much indeed. Uh, It remains for me to say thank you to Nick 
uh, Trindade from AXA Investment Managers for his thoughts and insights today uh, to thank you, the listeners, for your ongoing support. Um, and I have said it every single week. I don't think anyone has ever done it, but please do contact us either through our webpage, squaremileresearch.com or by emailing us at info at squaremileresearch.com. This podcast is only aimed at professional advisors and regulated firms and should not be passed on to or relied upon by any other persons. It is not intended for retail investors who should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this podcast. Remembering past performance is not an indication of future performance. It is published by and remains the copyright of Squaremart Investment Consulting and Research. Squaremart makes no warranties or representations regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. This podcast represents the views and forecasts of Squaremart at the date of issue and may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. Nothing in this podcast shall be deemed to constitute a regulated activity or an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity, and it is not a recommendation to buy or sell any funds or investments that are mentioned during this podcast. Thank you.